Hey, awesome. Great to welcome you to Rockbridge, wherever you've joined us at any of our five, soon to be six uh, campuses and locations across northwest Georgia and Tennessee Valley. I don't know. Uh, tell your neighbor if you ever had a van like that or would like to have a van like that, right? Those are pretty cool. So my name is Matt Evans, uh, one of the pastors on our team, and just honored and delighted that you're here for our summer series called Road Trip. We'll have two different series this summer. The first one is Road Trip, and then the back half of the summer, we're going to get into uh, a book of the Bible called Proverbs, but we'll hang out and talk about people and things in the Bible that just took a journey. Because like Sam, our campus pastor from Chatsworth, introduced last year, all of us are kind of on a journey or on a road trip in life, in relationships. And ultimately, we hope here at Rockbridge, where we want to connect everyone to life in Christ, life in Christ, which we believe is the best life there is, life in Christ is a road trip. Life in Christ is a journey. And so Sam taught us last week that everybody is either on a road trip in some kind of holding pattern, waiting to move or go to the next location, or you're nearing the destination. And that's just kind of the ebb and flow of life is that we're on these road trips. And so he introduced a topic to us last week, and this week and the next several weeks, we're going to start kind of getting some principles that we can apply, that we can live by, that we can learn from, that we can receive warnings from for how to make and maximize our road trip and then understand what's going on in our lives when we're on a road trip. So to start us off today, I want to talk about one word you love and two words we hate, all right? And I'm the same. We're all kind of going to identify with this. A, love we lo- a word we love is now, two words we hate are not now, right? And it's been that way since you were old enough to talk to your parents, right? We love to have it, get it now. We want to receive it now. And this is the trend of society, right? The fact that deliveries take less time. They're closer to now than they were 10 years ago. Internet feels like, you know, instantaneous. It's now. I mean, we want the job now, the promotion now, the girl now, the the internet speed to be as fast as instantaneously now, right? I mean, we just like the word now. Now, we don't like to hear Well, not now. It's not arrived yet. It hasn't happened yet. And and if you've ever taken a trip with kids, you understand this. Hey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you keep saying, no, not yet, not now, not yet, not now, not yet, not now. And when we're traveling with our Heavenly Father, you are guaranteed to hear two words you hate. Not now. And it is when you hear those words, not now, because you thought it should have happened by now, you, you thought, you, thought we, you should have been there by now. God should have done something by now. Your marriage should be at this place by now. Your finances should be here. Your career should be there by now. But you're getting not now, not now, no, not yet, not now. You and God then suddenly have a tension and a challenge. And so we're going to learn today, I hope and pray, and this is what I've been praying for us all this week, is that maybe today these two words we hate, not now, we can learn to appreciate why God oftentimes says, not now. If you have your Bibles, we're going to kind of be in two different passages of Scripture, but the anchor passage that's going to give us and unpack this principle for us is Exodus 23. In Exodus 23, we join the Israelites who are on a journey. They're on a journey out of Egypt into what today we call Israel or the promised land to, to to our Jewish faith ancestors, right? And they're on this long journey, and God's leading them, and God's taking them there. So they're on their road trip out of Egypt, and we're going to understand this principle. 
principle and see it in action. So we're starting verse 20, skip to 27 through 30 to get the principle. Here we go. I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Like everybody reads those words and in in your life, man, you're like, that is awesome. God is good because I get an angel and God's got something for me that's better than I have right now. And I'm ready for it, God. I mean, this is all great stuff. This is when, you know, it's it's hard to be an atheist when you kind of understand verses like this or apply verses like this to your life and to your situation because there's something good ahead. You're going to the beach, you're going to Florida, you're going to Disneyland, you're going to Disney World, and and in this case, God's sending an angel with you, and we love that, right? So all is good. It gets even better for the Israelites on their road trip. He says, look, I'm going to cause the people ahead of you. There's some bad people, some evil people, some terrorist-type people ahead of you. God's like, no worries. I'm going to cause them to feel terror, and I'll throw them into confusion, all the nations that you come to. I'll make all your enemies turn their backs to you in retreat, and, I mean, is there, is there not a better deal? I mean, think about this. If there's an enemy in your life, whether it's cancer or a difficult financial season or a difficult marriage or you're, you feel like you're in a dry spell, and, and then God suddenly says, hey, I'm going to get you where I want you to be, and I'm going to send an angel ahead of you, and I'm going to take care of all your enemies, you're like, yes, God, bring it, baby. Now, right? Now, God, right? And, and so we're all as good here. This is when everybody believes the Bible. And then we get these verses, and we're not so sure anymore. I will not drive them out ahead of you in a single year. What you talking about, God? Say what? Not now. There it is. I'm not going to drive. I will not drive them out ahead of you in a single year. Not now. And he kind of tells them why. He says, otherwise, the land would become desolate. So you got all these people in the land, and and even though they're not godly people, and they're evil people, they sacrifice children and do all kinds of detestable practices and things like that. He says, look, if they all go away all of a sudden, and and, and you're not ready yet, then guess what? Animals would multiply against you, and you'd have to deal with wild animals. So he says, look, I'm going to drive them out little by little until you have become numerous, and then you can take possession of the promised land. Now, Now, here's what's crazy. The Israelites have been hearing about promise and promised land since Genesis 12, or like 440, 450, I mean, just 400 plus years before this. We've been talking about the land, and here they are on the cusp of actually moving forward and getting there and going there and receiving their inheritance and getting what God has been promising to them for a long time, and then God throws them the curveball of, not yet, not now. Hey, we're all going to go to Atlanta, but we're not going to take 75. We're going to go 41, baby. Who's excited for that trip? Right? Nobody. Nobody's excited about taking that trip. Nobody. And that's just what God said. Because what? God's got this principle. And I think it's a principle he uses more often than we realize and more than we want to accept. And it's the principle of little by little. Now, you learn two things about the God of the Bible, the God who died in your place from this passage of Scripture. The two things you learn are this. God is a God of the promise, which we like, but he's also a God of the process, which we may not like. Now, let me tell you something. 
It's the process that brings us into the promise. So you're sitting here and you, you, you think, man, God's, God's, God, I've read Song of Solomon. I don't know if anybody read Song of Solomon. It's rated R, by the way. Uh, you should read the Bible more, right? <clears throat> but you read, you know, man, I want a marriage like Song of Solomon. Do you want the process or just the promise? Because you can't have one without the other. But, but we're like that, right? We're like, hey, I want six-pack abs. I just don't want the process. So we want a good marriage. Hey, I want, to, I, I want to know more about God. When's the last time you read your Bible? Crickets, right? So, so we have this tension, right? Because we're in a now culture, and God is a not now God because there's a process. And, and, and so we want to learn to embrace the God of the promise, which is easy to do, right? Hey, I will give you a full and abundant life, John 10, 10. I will never leave you or forsake you. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm going to complete good things in you. I'm going to do some great things through you. Give it, God. Now, not now, process. So we have to learn to love, to embrace, to understand the God of the promise and the God of the process. So to illustrate this, I don't know if you've ever heard about this. This is the Chinese bamboo tree. The Chinese bamboo tree grows to upwards close to 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall. Do you know how it does it? You plant the Chinese bamboo tree seed. And you have to water the seed every day for five years. If you sort of get out of sync, the seed dies. And nothing comes through the ground. So for five years, it's water, water, water. Water, water. And then after about year five, for in six weeks' time, it grows 80 to 90 feet. Five years, nothing. Six weeks, whoa, something. Now, what's it doing in the meantime? It's not that nothing's happening. It's actually digging this root system that supports something that can grow that high is developing underneath it. You just can't see it. So, I, you know, we all get excited about 80 or 90 feet, right? We don't get so excited about five years of doing something the same every single day. And if I miss a day, oh my goodness, nada, right? But that's the God of the promise and the God of the process. And so in our mentality, in our psyche, here's sort of what this looks like. God's promise, which we want now, God's process, which speaks to us not now. And there's a gap in between here. And what you put in that gap makes all the difference, See, some of you, this is why you became virtually an atheist and walked away from God, walked away from church because you thought it should be here by now or God should have done something by now and he didn't and you didn't understand he's the God of the process and so you walked, maybe not walked out of church, but you walked away from God in all practical cases. Sometimes what we put in here is suspicion and doubt and discouragement and disbelief. Sometimes what goes in here is I'm just bitter. I'm just mad. I'm just bitter. And, and so that gap, we got we to gotta figure out, what do I put in that gap? What, what do I put in that gap, God? Because we, I, I think you've promised more than I'm receiving. And, and interestingly enough, interestingly enough, even people who don't believe in God have beliefs that accord with a good God, right? Because even people who don't believe in God 
believe that, that evil is wrong, that there's real evil and that injustice is such a thing, well, where do you get those notions that there's right and wrong and good and evil, the promise of right and wrong or, or the promise of, of justice and then you see injustice and when are we going to get justice from injustice, right? Well, you get that because we're all made in the image of God and God's a good God who has good things and good plans for his people. He is a God of justice. He's a God opposed to evil. So all of us kind of have this innate sense of things ought to be better than they are. And then we have a God who says it's going to take a process. And so we got to start to understand this God who does not look at things in terms of time, but rather process. Now, you and I are conditioned around time. You know, around six years old, it's time to go to school. Around 16, it's time to start driving a car. Around 18, you can vote and join the military or be drafted to serve your country. By the way, we are thankful today and this weekend, 75th anniversary of D-Day and the invasion of Normandy, which launched the defeat of Nazi Germany for all who served and the great generation that fought those battles on our behalf. At age 21, you can have a beer or alcohol. Now, let's be honest. You all know some 16-year-olds who shouldn't be driving. You all know some 21-year-olds who darn sure shouldn't be drinking, right? But we think time. We think, God, I should have it by now. God, I should be there by now. And God, because God's above time, he, I mean, he created time for us to exist in, for us to have, you know, just have some concepts of things. But he's looking at process. So he, here, here comes the challenge. Can I believe in God but not his process? Can I, I believe in God? But I just don't like his process. I don't believe his process. I don't trust his process. Because, see, God, God doesn't just want you to, and I to believe he exists. He wants us to believe he is best. God, let me say it again. God doesn't want you and I just to believe he exists. Oh, I believe in God. He, he wants us to believe he is best. And if he is best, then his ways are best. And his way is oftentimes, more often than we care to admit, more often than we recognize, his way is a way of process. So I want to illustrate this with you uh, by sharing with you another story from Scripture of someone who had to go through a process. Familiar character in the Bible. We know him as King David. You may have heard the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to kind of touch on that story in just a minute. But David was going to become the king of Israel. And I just want to show you kind of how he got picked for that and, and, and unpack this as we understand God of the God of the promise and the God of the process. In 1 Samuel 16, God comes to Samuel, who's the prophet, the priest, so to speak, of the land, and uh, he's rejected the, the, the original first king, who was King Saul. And he comes to Samuel and says, all right, we got to go pick a new king. He says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Because Saul had sinned and, and, and abandoned God's process, ironically, and, and lost the promise of being the king of Israel. <coughs> How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king? Fill your horn with oil because you've got to go anoint. Oil would symbolize the presence of God, the anointing, the favor, the blessing of God. So fill your horn with oil and go. And he says, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born because Jesus is descended from King David's lineage, because I have selected a king from one of his sons. This is a promise. 
that God's making. I'm going to take one of Jesse's sons, the town of Bethlehem. I'm going to make a king out of one of his sons. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons. So Samuel arrives, sets Jesse and his sons apart. They have like a prayer service, worship service to kind of get ready for, to hear from God. And he invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, who's the oldest, and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or stature because I've rejected him. Look what we do. The oldest should get it. He looks the part of a king. He should get it. But God says, hey, people, humans don't see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible. The Lord's looking at the heart. It's not Eliab. So so what do we learn just about God's process from there? And, And this is so huge. God's focus is internal, not external. See, uh, most of us want God to work on us, or excuse me, want God to work around us rather than in us. God's process is going to be focused in you more than around you. You want him to change the circumstances, to change the weather, to change what's on the, you know, the nightly news in your life. He's looking at your heart, and that's what he wants to change. And that's the process he wants you to undergo. So one by one, Jesse brings all his sons, and and each time Samuel tells Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And Samuel asks him, are are these all the sons you have? Because nobody thinks the youngest kid, the, the little annoying kid, the shepherd boy, nobody thinks he's the king. Well, they're still the youngest. Now look, they're still judging God's process, God's selection, by T-I-M-E in months, days, years, and seconds, right? He said, but right now he's tending the sheep. And Samuel told Jesse, well, send for him. We won't sit down to eat till he gets here. So Jesse sent for him, and this is David, and it says he looked good. He was beautiful, had healthy, handsome appearance, and the Lord said, anoint him, for he's the one. He's the one. The shepherd boy, the youngest. He's the one. It's his heart that I'm after. So Samuel took the horn of oil and and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. So God anoints him. God's presence comes upon him from that day forward. All of his brothers and his father and the prophet Samuel know this is the king of Israel. This is the future king of Israel. And here's where it gets challenging. What did David do from that day forward? Was it inauguration, coronation? Did he get his speech ready? Did he get his robe, haircut, and kind of get showered and ready to go? Do you know what David did from that day forward? He went back to tending sheep. Here's the promise. You're going to be the king. The Spirit of God's upon you. We've anointed you in front of your family, in front of the prophet Samuel. But you're not going to be the king right now. Not now. And this is where we're like, God... Why don't you hurry things up a little bit? If he's the one, and you're God, and you're all-powerful, and you can like do make an ocean uh, into a hurricane like that, and you, and you, you can speak, and things come into existence, uh, why are we dealing with sheep here? Now, now imagine, imagine if you're David. The tempta- it doesn't tell us he did this, and in fact, I don't think he did this, but here's my temptation. God, if, you've got, if you want me there, and, it, and it's being the, the king, why am I here taking care of sheep? Because God's the God of the process and the promise. And sometimes you hear and receive the promise, but it's the process that you got to have faith in.
So, so like, think of it this way. When it comes to God, we, we sometimes think it should be either or when it's really both and. and. And here's what I mean by that. Is it blessing or maturity or blessing and maturity? See, a lot of us want the blessing before we have the maturity to handle the blessing. Okay? Or is it, hey, God has great plans for me and I'm ready for them now? Or is it preparation? Well, it's really both and. God does want to bless but he wants to bless when we're mature for the blessing. God does have plans, and he wants us to be prepared to receive and execute and go through those plans. And we all understand that in so many different ways, but we got to embrace that. God is the God of the promise, and God is the God of the, uh, of <clears throat> the process. So like, as a parent, I'll, here's an example. I learned this. And I think, like I'm a father, so fathers want to you know, bless their kids and have plans for their kids. So I decided, and I guess every dad, when you've got boys, you dream of giving them a football, a gun, or a pocket knife or something like that. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to bless my boys. I'm going to give them a pocket knife. I got plans for them. It would be men, a blessing of a pocket knife. They'd had the pocket knife 24 hours. We had a gash in a piece of furniture and in a finger. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have given a pocket knife to a two-year-old. I don't know. Right? I'm just kidding. He wasn't two. He was three. Right? No. But, but what do we learn from that? Blessing, but you've got to be mature to handle it. Plans, but you've got to be prepared for them. Thankfully, you have a father in heaven who's a better father than I am. And he's got stuff for you. He wants to bless your life. He has plans for you. But do you believe in him enough, trust him enough, believe he's good enough, smart enough, wise enough that you'd surrender and submit to his process? Because we're on a road trip. And sometimes, more times than we dare and care to admit, and more times than we recognize, you have a great, good, perfect father who loves us too much to bless us before we're ready or to bring the plans he has for us to fruition before we're prepared. And so in love and wisdom and grace and mercy, he whispers those two words that we hate to hear, but I hope we're learning to appreciate, not now. So what can we say instead of now or right now? Maybe we need to think when ready. When ready. See, see, I think it would be amazing, and it would change our perspective, and it would change our, our attitude if we went through life instead of now, 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 and, and thought of things, well, when ready, when ready, when I'm prepared, when I'm mature, when ready. And it would arm us to receive and understand more of what God's doing in us and through us and then wants to bring into our lives. So, so when we talk about having faith or believing in God, understand this, what faith is. Faith is trusting God when there's no evidence except His Word to us. You got to know His Word, but faith is trusting God when there is no evidence. Now, when I say no evidence, here's what I mean. That could mean no peaceful, easy feeling. No visible sign that what God has said in his word, promised in his word, is going to happen. 
Nothing. Zero. Just a God who says, do you believe me? Not that I exist, but that I'm best. And do you trust my word to you that I'll bring it about in real time? See, a lot of people, a lot of people say this. Here's their story. And I'll summarize it in a sentence. Here's their story. Hey, I used to have faith. Well, why don't you have faith anymore? And the answer is, because I didn't get the result I wanted. Somebody didn't get healed. Not everybody's been promised to be healed this side of heaven. We'll get there. But I, I didn't get what I wanted. God didn't save my marriage. God didn't bring this about. I thought God should have done it by now. Well, here, here's, my, here's my statement. If that was your definition of faith, you didn't really have faith at that time anyway. You didn't have faith in God. You had faith in the results you wanted God to give you. But you weren't trusting God's wisdom. You weren't trusting God's timing. You weren't trusting God's process. So were you trusting God? Did you really have faith in God? And the answer is no. See, see, faith is what says, I know God will bring it about. What he said in his word, in his way, in his time, when I'm ready. So, so part of faith includes trusting God's win. Trusting God's win. There's a time, there's a preparation phase, there's a maturity. There, there's, a, there's something God can see and trust his win. Think of it, go back to our story about Israel. If God had blessed them now, when they, right when they moved into the promised land and said, boom, all your enemies are gone, if God had blessed them now, it would have created a bigger problem. What was the problem? The wild animal problem. They couldn't perceive that. They couldn't have known that. But God knows things you don't know and knows things I don't know. And, and maybe one of the reasons God has said not now to you is he's protecting you from an enemy you don't even know exists. Because he's God and we're not. So, so, so maybe, maybe a question we, we could ask ourselves is this. Do I see myself in a holding pattern? Just waiting and waiting and waiting. Or... Is it about faithfulness in the now and preparation for the win? See, see, I think some of the times when we're sitting there waiting on something and waiting on something and waiting on something, when we're tempted toward despair or bitterness or doubt or disillusionment or unbelief, because we're like, I'm tired of the holding pattern. I mean, have you ever been in a holding pattern in an airplane? I've been in there one time because, you know, we all bogged down in the airport and you're just so frustrated. And who's in charge of this mess? I'll never fly this airline again. What, I mean, all those kind of things. We do that with God, right? But what if we saw those moments instead of, let me be faithful where I am now to prepare for what God has for me when? It would change our outlook. It would change our attitude. It would change our relationship with God. So, a couple of thoughts in the not now moments, in the not now seasons on our road trips. A couple of thoughts. Number one is this. Would we be committed to obeying all we know right now? All we know right now. Now, listen, listen, listen. Before, before, <clears throat> before you kind of lock in on something, let me, uh, let me expand something. When we see this, this word I've got highlighted, this word obey, we immediately think of the Big Ten and some things we're supposed to do and some things we're not supposed to do. Do you know this, though, about obedience? Obedience also includes where God has positioned you and the pace in which God is leading you. Do you, do you hear me, hear me, hear me? God has a position. We, we did a series back uh, earlier this year 
about seasons of life. That part of obedience is obeying the position God has placed you in. Part of obedience is heeding the pace that God is moving your life toward the promise or toward the destination. So when we say obey all you know right now, what does that look like? Well, let's go back to David. Remember, David's going to be the king. Remember, David's going to be you know, the king of that the, the Messiah Jesus is descended from, right? But David has to go back after he gets the promise, after he gets, hey, here's where, how God's going to use you. David has to go back and tend sheep. But on down the road, an opportunity arises. Because he's going out to the lines of battle, and he, and he hears the murmurings, and he sees the fear, because all of Israel is afraid of this thing, this giant man called Goliath. And David stands, steps up and says, I'm not afraid of Goliath. I'll fight Goliath. And, and, and King Saul, he, he says it this way, what he says to Saul, he says, don't let anybody be discouraged by him, the giant. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul says, but God, but David, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're not ready yet because you're just a youth. There we are looking at T-I-M-E instead of trusting God's process. And he's been a warrior since he was young. He's looking at time. God looks at process because here's what Goliath did not have. He didn't have time with God. He wasn't a part of God's promise or a part of God's process. But David answered Saul, well, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Oh, look at that. What does tending sheep have to do with fighting a giant? But David realized tending sheep was not a holding pattern. David realized tending sheep was his opportunity to obey God in the now and prepare for the win. And the win happens to be right now in front of this giant. So look what David said. Hey, Saul, whenever a lion or bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised, that's outside of the covenant promise of God, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The God who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I've been preparing all my life, Saul, for this moment. Let me go in. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. To which I can imagine David replying, he's always been with me, and I've been with him. Imagine if you saw your life that way. You're bored of tending sheep. I mean, it's like saying, come on, God, come on, God. But what if that was preparing you for something greater yet later? Hang in there. He's the God of the promise. He's the God of the process. Number two, moving forward is spurred on by cooperating with God and developing our character, developing our lives, not complaining. Never once do we hear David complain. His brothers complain, not David. Complaining is simply a statement that I do not trust the God of the process. I want the promise, but not the process. 
Number three, if we shortcut the process, and we've all been there, done that, we might short-circuit the product. If I go around God's process, I might lose the blessing or part of the blessing. Go back to Exodus 23. Remember, we had the promise of land, but it said, not yet, little by little, because the animals will get you. We read further, verse 31. He goes, I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and the wilderness to the Euphrates River. That means that the promised land of Israel would stretch from the Mediterranean all the way into modern-day Iran and Iraq. That was what God wanted them to have. That was the promise. He says, I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control. You'll drive them out ahead of you. You must not make a covenant with them or their gods. They must not remain in your land or else they'll make you sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will be a snare for you. And what did Israel do? They did not trust the process, which was you got to deal with temptation and sin, and you got to get rid of evil influences in the promised land. And Israel never made it to the Euphrates River. That never became part of the promised land. They never received what God had promised. Why? Because they shortcut the process and they short-circuited the final product. Number four, things that we think are not part of the process actually are. God, this should not have happened. David, why do I have to fight a bear? Part of the process. God, do I have to deal with a lion? Oh, that sheep drives me batty. It always gets away. Process. Oh, my husband. Process. Process. Things we think are not part of the process actually are. Doctor says cancer. Process. Boss says it's not you. You've been passed over. Process. You thought there should be a ring on that finger by that process. Promise and process. And finally, and probably most important thing I'll say to you today, Remember what and who are ultimate. The coming kingdom of Jesus. The ultimate promise is not your life expectancy. The ultimate promise is not a great marriage. The ultimate promise is not debt free. The ultimate promise is not the American dream. The ultimate promise is not that you can be free of addiction. All those things are, 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 could be a part of your process, okay? The ultimate promise is a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth. And let me just say this. Most of what is promised by God, we don't get until we die and Jesus comes back. So cannot judge God by your life expectancy on earth. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Talks about all these great people, men and women of faith. And listen to what it says. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. Some of you need to write that down. Listen to me. I want to say it one more time. 
most of what God has promised for his people, we will not receive until after we die in faith. Because God wants to bless you for a billion, gazillion, eternal years and not for like 80, 90, or 100 years. This is part of the process of a larger plan. 1 Peter 1.13 Put all your hope, not 99%, 100% of your hope, in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. That verse is one giant, not now. But the best is yet to come. Always. So I want to ask you this, and then I'll close in prayer. Do you believe you're part of an eternal process? Are you judging your life? Are you judging God simply by your decade, your century, and your life? expectancy on earth are, are you thinking this is it i gotta cram it all in or oh my gosh my 20s were miserable i'll never get it back all is lost i'm damaged goods no 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 process process you are an eternal being in a temporary body god has amazing future for you that's everlasting and eternal, eternal pleasures. Not temporary pleasures, eternal pleasures. Listen, that eternal process starts with you surrendering to a person who came from the bloodline of King David. His name is Jesus. Does he have the steering wheel of your life and your eternity? If not, why not give it to him? with your sins and trust Him with your now, your not now, and your best is yet to come. Let's pray together. God, I just want to um, offer everyone or anyone here life in Christ, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, if they would just give you the steering wheel, trust your promise to save them from their sins, trust your promise to give them your Holy Spirit, trust your promise to give them eternal life, trust your promise that the best is yet to come. If anybody in here is saying yes to that right now, I just want you in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind to say, King Jesus, yes, be my Savior, be my King. As best I know how, I give you my life. If you prayed that, again, we're all in a posture of prayer. If you prayed that, your next step is to talk to someone and then get baptized. That's it. Even if you've already been baptized, get baptized now because now your baptism means something. God, I want to pray for all of us because we're all on a road trip. And we all hear those words we hate, but maybe now we've learned to appreciate. Not now. God, may we receive your not now as part of your good and all-wise process to bring us to places of grace and great blessing. 
where we can say, you are a great God. And it is in your name we pray, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.